great day, comrades. We sail into history. Totally football show at the World Cup. Today, it's the final one of our World Cup previews focusing on groups G and H with Jack Lang, Daniel Storey, Michael Cox and Ian McIntosh. Now he cannot stop. Hello everyone. Yes, it's a warm welcome back to Jack Lang, South American football expert. Hi James. Hi, Jack. Daniel Story is also returning after his stellar performances on uh, groups D, E and F. Thank you. And remember, his audiobook, Gaza in Italy, is available. But joining us for groups G and H, Michael Cox, author of The Mixer on Actual Real Paper. Hi, James. How are you doing? Yeah, very well, thank you. Good. And superstar columnist for The Straight Times in Singapore... Ian McIntosh. Hi. Hi. Straight times, is that like a is that a geographical demarcation or is it kind of a lifestyle choice? What's the story there? Straight Times is one of the granddaddies of uh, Southeast Asian media market. It's been going for years and years and years. All right. Well, I'm going to ask you one or two questions about groups G and H, and we're going to begin with the big one. You're listening to the Totally Football Show, Totally at the World Cup, and in association with Paddy Power. That's right, Group G. You got Belgium, ooh, Panama, ooh, Tunisia, and England. And it works out sort of that if you come top, you're probably going to get Senegal. Would that be fair in the last 16? If you come second, aye, 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 you're looking at Colombia. But here's the thing you might feel both those games are, are matches you could win. But if you finish second in the group, you're probably going to get Germany in the quarterfinals. Ian McIntosh. Bah, easy. For whoever gets there. Mm. It's a good group for England. Um, There are far harder groups than this one. And yet it is England and they have the capacity to trip over their own feet at any given moment. Belgium, meanwhile, bringing their golden generation again. It always works out well for countries when they have a golden generation. (laughs) What, What about this time? I see there's already injury worries over company. Yeah, the the typical two worries over company. One, that he gets injured. Two, that he storms out from defence and commits a foul that gets him booked after about seven minutes. Um, he's gone for option A this time. And yeah, there, he's been named in the squad. There was there were rumours he wouldn't even be named in the squad, but he has been named in the squad. I suspect he will be fit. Um, the fact that they don't face England until the third game and they shouldn't need Vincent Company to be, win the first two games kind of works his, his favour. Mm. They're the favourites. The team's trying to upset those two and snatch a place in the knockout stages. Panama and Tunisia, who Michael excitingly are trying to get only their second ever World Cup finals win four decades after their first. It's not looking good for Tunisia, given that their first two games against England and Belgium, or is it? I think of all the groups, this is the one where there's two real clear favourites and two real outsiders, I think. I wouldn't be entirely surprised if England and Belgium won their first two games. And the last game was uh, England and Belgium with rotated teams and then Tunisia going for their win because I just can't really see any way that the, the two outsiders have anything to shock the two big teams, to be honest. I think um, Tunisia looking uh, at dire straits and, um, yeah, Panama are just very old and very slow and I don't think they'll be able to live with 
the pace of England and Belgium. I'll right. be a little concerned about Tunisia. England don't always start tournaments very quickly, and there are a couple of people in there who can do damage. I mean, Sunderland fans will remember happier times with Wabi Kasri and mm. uh, uh, Sam Allardyce. Um, got terrific set piece on him, can cause all kinds of problems. And I watched him against Portugal, and there's a kid there called um, Kahui, I think. Uh, Saif Eden Kahui, uh, 23-year-old at Marseille. Looks a really interesting, creative player. I mean, Michael's right, they're not a strong team, but there is talent in there and they could do damage. They're the highest-ranked team in Africa, Tunisia. The other thing it should be said about Tunisia is they've lost Yusuf Masakni, who is there. Mm. Um, every team in the World Cup must have a insert country name here, Messi, and he is the Tunisian Messi. Is but he, he is um, very injured and very out of the tournament, which even spe- you, you, what, read the interviews with every player and the first thing they mention is almost downplaying how well they think they'll do because he's out. So it's clearly a massive, massive loss. All right, so Tunisia and Panama then, who are the second smallest nation at the World Cup after Iceland. So England in a group with a tiny nation at their first major international tournament. When did that ever go wrong two years ago in France? (laughs) Yes, and uh, there are many occasions when England have struggled against the team perceived to be the weakest in the group. Never forget the eternal time that it took to break down Trinidad and Tobago. Right. Um, or the Algeria time. game in 2010. Or the Algeria game. When the then. owl nested on the, on the, on the crossbar. <laughs> we have a, a huge back catalogue. Um, that said, Panama were gubbed 6-0 by Switzerland in March, um, held 0-0 by Northern Ireland in their most recent friendly. It's hard to see them coming through this group. They're in Russia for a good time, not a long time. <laughs> to the extent that their, their manager, who before we get on to what he said, has possibly the best nickname at the World Cup. So Hernan Dario Gomez from Colombia. His nickname is El Boillo, the truncheon. The truncheon. Uh, I've no idea where that comes from. My research didn't extend that far. But he said, you know, his take on this group is, let us not get thrashed. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Which I think neatly uh, spells out the extent of their ambitions here. One of the big worries for Belgium and England playing Panama is they are incredibly physical uh, they will be prepared to do what it takes to stop pacey wingers and uh, skillful attacking midfield of, of which Belgium and England obviously have a collection so I think one of the issues will be almost not injury avoidance that's, that's a little bit too far I think but they are certainly going to be prepared to to kick a few can Panama win a game and if so against who uh, well if they're going to win a game it's going to be Tunisia but I think Tunisia are comfortably better than them my only recurring nightmare is that England draw against Tunisia, beat Panama and lose to Belgium and go out on goal difference to Tunisia, which is incredibly negative. But that's the only way I can see either of Belgium or England going out in the group stage. Mm. I mean, on the subject of being negative and on the subject of goal difference, Panama had a negative goal difference qualifying for this tournament, which really sums up the fact they scraped through. This is... They've done incredibly well to get here, and it's a bit of a shame that it's late because two lads up front, Perez and Tejeda, always seem to crop up in those you know top goal scorer for the World Cup uh, qualifying in previous editions. But they're mid thirties now; they just look really, really slow. I, I really fear for them, to be honest. Okay, well, Panama fans, this may cheer you up. Producer Ben has prepared some fun facts. Michael, did you know that the Panama hat actually originates from Ecuador? Yes, but only because I think Ben might have told me that before. To always, be yeah. <laughs> yeah. You probably know this one. Panama's the only place in the world you can see the sunrise on the Pacific and set on the Atlantic without leaving the country. That's good. Yeah. Is that true, though? I reckon you could get across Mexico in a day, couldn't you? I'd be yeah, surprised that... if there wasn't another Central American country. Where yeah, that's nonsense. It's, it's quite a thin strip of land. All right, I can't disagree with this third one, which is that a man, a plan, a canal, semicolon, Panama is a palindrome. 
along oh, with nice. Abel was I, ear I saw Elba, Napoleon's Lament. Yeah. Along with a former Liverpool youth team player called Leon Knoll. Brilliant. Which brings us back nicely to the football. Right. Anyway, England then. We'll talk about the big dogs. England and Belgium. So many questions, and a lot of them have been aired in all sorts of various other outlets. But first of all, is the biggest one, Daniel, the defence, Stones, Jones and, and Cahill, are they enough? Uh, I, well, I think they'll sh- they should be enough to get through the group stage. One of the interesting selection dilemmas that Southgate has is that Gary Cahill has come from... Um, well, he's gone on a journey from key first-teamer to outside the squad, not even getting in the Chelsea team, to back into the squad and looks like a leader again. Um, it, Southgate played down the, the decision between Maguire and Cahill and said they could both play, but I don't think they will. Um, and I think Cahill might have won that battle now. Um, Joe Hart not being in the squad means that Southgate won today. Uh, an older player in defence. He's obviously got Young, who's the oldest in the squad, but he wanted a defender who, to lead. And I think Cahill's probably won that. That is not where I see England's problems in the group. Where I see England's problems in the group is that we have a habit at the moment of creating an awful lot of chances and, and finishing very few of them. Mm. We saw that against Nigeria. Well, why is that? When you look at the talent in the team, uh, why do we score so so, well, so few goals? Well, I think, I think that is, to my mind, that's Harry Kane's game. He takes four or five shots. He has an awful lot of shots, more than any other Premier League player has ever had consistently. And that's why he scores an awful lot of goals. Spurs create a lot of chances for him. Christian Eriksen is a pure creator. England don't have a pure creator. So Raheem Sterling's finishing needs work. Jesse Lingard's finishing is not brilliant. Deli Ali's finishing for England has been poorer than it is at, at club level. So I don't think it's any huge surprise, but it is a problem because if we do get through the group that's where we, I think we probably come unstuck against better teams. We, really? Yeah. I mean, you've got other options like Rashford, mm. Jamie Vardy. I have voiced my unpopular opinion before that I think I would like to see Jamie Vardy starting in games against better teams. I think his, his shot efficiency, his, his finishing is better than Kane's. I think Kane should play against the weaker teams. Um, I don't think it'll happen, but I think Vardy, maybe with Kane, with this new three-five-two that Southgate's doing, um, he could maybe play instead of Sterling against... Uh, better teams to kind of play on the last man. Right. Gareth Southgate may actually listen to this show. There's certainly no evidence <laughs> that he doesn't. So um, what advice would you have for him re-selection to Michael? Well, I'm a little bit concerned about the system. I mean, he switched to a three-man defence, which I think was the right thing to do with the players that England had at their disposal. And one of the positive things was that in Walker and Rose, we had arguably the best wing-back partnership, if you can call it that, that anyone would have going into the tournament. But now things have changed. He's now playing Walker as a right-sided centre-back, which everyone's been very positive about because he's a technical player in the back line. But I just think it weakens England. I, I think Trippier's a perfectly good player. He's a good crosser. But I think Walker's dynamism from that position was one of the main reasons to, to switch to that system. And on the other flank, there seems to be a question mark about Danny Rose and his fitness, which means Ashley Young could be playing. Like Ashley Young, he's done a good job in various positions, but in that system, you really need a left-footed wing-back, I think. If you've got someone who's continually coming inside, you just don't have that width. So we've moved to a logical system for the players we've got and then seem to not be using the right players in the right positions for me. So I've, I have some reservations about the system. Broadly speaking, are you optimistic? Uh, less so than most people, I think. I think people seem to be very optimistic because it's quite a young team, a fresh yeah. team, different team. I think there's a lot of question marks. We haven't got good enough central midfielders. None of the centre-backs really convinced me and... 
I, I really think uh, Pickford, who's a talented goalkeeper, I wouldn't be surprised if he made a bad mistake, basically. This is a bigger question, Ian, whether this time they'll end up hating each other the way that they always do. <laughs> well, Ferdinand coming out with this again recently, it's certainly something that internationals have voiced on other occasions about the fact that the England team just descends into a seething kind of pit of, of, of bitterness and ill will. And he was of the era when there were the um, heavy cliques of yeah. Liverpool players and Manchester United players. Hopefully that's died down now. It is a very much younger squad of only a few particularly experienced players. I think that could be a beneficial thing, hopefully. I mean, it can't be any worse. Mm. But you also have problems outside the camp. There was a column in the Daily Record earlier this week, uh, a Scottish columnist delighting in uh, asking his audience to gather round the English are about to do it again and destroy their own chances, by which he meant the Raheem Sterling stuff. And I think one real positive to come out of the preparation is the way that Gareth Southgate's conducted himself, um, particularly over the way that he's, he's not just blindly defended Sterling, you know, he's hauled him out in front of the squad to make him apologise for being late as well, which was the right thing to do. But he's been very, very clear on what a tiresome pile of crap that tattoo story was. Yeah. Um, in fact, the newspaper in question may well have united England fans in in a cause, which which could turn out to be a positive mm. um, at some point. But Southgate seems to be conducting himself really well. He seems to have the respect of everyone. And, and hopefully you get a thing like in 1990 where that kind of confidence and camaraderie builds up as they go out there. Right. It's nice, isn't it? It's made us miss Big Sam just a little bit less. <laughs> a little bit less. Well, speaking of the good old days for England and having a good time at camp, producer Ben earlier went and caught up with former England captain Paul Ince to hear his experiences of life within the Three Lions bubble. When I actually go to World Cups or uh, European Cups, we're all mates, you know what I mean? A lot of my mates weren't really the ones at Liverpool or Mate United or whatever team we were playing for, you know, like Les Ferdinand and Wrighty and Gaza. And, you know, they weren't necessarily the teams that I played for. So that was then. Then it was different characters. Then there wasn't so much social media. Then there wasn't... Playstations and with all the rubbish that they're playing now, that wasn't there at the time. You had to go and play cards together, you know what I mean? You had, to, you had to do things together. I think nowadays, you know, one, you haven't got the characters, you know, the art of talking's gone out the window. The amount of people you see on their phones, you know, I know Michael Carrick come up and said it's boring, you know, but he's old school, you know what I mean? He's been there for quite a while. The kids of today, I think, you know, they spend a lot of time just stuck in their rooms playing FIFA, you know, and I think Southie's got a take experience from Euro 96 you know in 98 when we went to France we had a big marquee there was like all games there table tennis you know, car racing machines and it was massive it was and 85% of us were there every day you know what I mean having a laugh having a body because otherwise if you just sit in a hotel room it's going to be boring you know you've got things to do you've got to keep your mind going rather than just training you know and then spending the next like six seven hours waiting for dinner to arrive that can be boring so I think it's important I'm sure Southie knows from his experience that he's had with England that that can't be the case the lad's got to be doing things not things where it's going to risk getting injuries and things like that but things where there's team bonding or group bonding or individually bonding Paul Lintz appearing there courtesy of Paddy Power all right then. Uh, well, that's England, and the big issue for them is can they top the group ahead of Belgium? For any of you, essay an answer on that. Let's hear from a man who really knows day rotten twofle, Christophe Tourer, who joins us now on the line. Christophe, hello, James. We're all so excited to see Belgium's golden generation in action again. Massive letdowns at the last World Cup and the Euros too. Will this time be any different, Christophe? 
<laughs> I'm quite pessimistic. I think we will bottle it again and no. we will be forever called the continental England. <laughs> uh, oh, dear. It's funny because it's true. Uh, but, but why? Why do you think well, you've changed managers? Martinez has come in. He breezed through the qualifiers. 43 goals you scored, admittedly. 15 of them were against Gibraltar, but still impressive. Yeah, it's impressive because we didn't have any opposition, I think. Uh, Greece and Bosnia were some decent teams, but in the last two years, we haven't been really tested. I think we've only played a friendly game against Spain. They blew us away, 2-0 uh, loss, and Martinez was booed after that game. So that was a wake-up call. We played against Portugal last week, 0-0. It's only a friendly, you can't throw out too many conclusions, but suddenly all the good that we'd seen in the, in the qualification campaign was gone again. Uh, we were struggling to create chances and stuff like that. And that might happen at the World Cup again when we play against defensively organised sides. What, what did Rajan Nangalan do to upset Roberto Martinez so much? Um, smoking. <laughs> First of all, Berto Martinez doesn't like his lifestyle. He likes a drink. He likes his cigarette. We all know that he had uh, he had a room with a with the balcony uh, at the Euros where Bill Motz allowed him to smoke his cigarette from time to time. But Martinez doesn't see a place for him in the system either. It's it's half his lifestyle, half his tactical uh, decision, I think, because Martinez sees him as a number ten where he plays for Roma too, and we barely play with the number 10. Yeah, he's sometimes an explosive character. I, I would have always taken uh, Rajan Ayungolan, even as number 23. Even if he, you can use him in the second round, I think, where Witzel or the Piano, when you really have to to uh, strengthen your midfield with another player, and then Ayungolan would be the ideal player. And basically now, uh, Martinez has chosen the squad yeah, where well, he will keep on playing his 3-4-3 system and won't change a lot. And maybe that system will be a weakness against stronger teams like Brazil, for instance, who will uh, that we will probably be meeting in the quarterfinals. All right, maybe, maybe. There's so much talent in this squad, though, Christoph. I'm surprised you're, you're so down on them. You've got, you've got a Lukaku, you've got two Hazards, is that right? Yes, yeah. that's right. I mean, who's going to be the key? Who's your, who's your key player? Is it Kevin? Kevin is a key, but I think the, the the skills and the actions of Hazard will be decisive because also in the qualification campaign, Hazard was the most decisive of the attackers along with Lukaku, who scored loads of goals, loads of them also against Gibraltar and the smaller team, but he made a few important ones also against Greece where the only game we drew. So it's going to depend on the left, the left winger, Hazard and Lukaku scoring goals, but we'll have to see how how, how Lukaku plays against tougher teams. Where in in England, it's always talk about Lukaku not performing against the big teams. He has made some steps. He has developed as a player, is a better player than he was a year ago. But at the World Cup, lots of eyes will be on him too, on him and on the Hazard and on the Brand. And the Brand hasn't, for instance, performed in the national team as good as he was with City. Think that Kevin being brainwashed by Guardiola and his uh, tactical things, thinks a little bit too fast for some of the players. And that causes frustrations with him too. And that's why he was frustrated, for instance, after the Mexico game in November, where he, uh, where he just told that Martinez's tactics were rubbish. Read your World Soccer Mag from cover to cover. Listen to all of our Totally Football Show World Cup preview podcasts ready for Russia 2018. Not yet, you're not. Not until you've picked your fancy football team. 
Register to play your first team free with The Telegraph and you can go on to win big money prizes. Yep, there's more than £25,000 up for grabs and all you've got to do is spend your imaginary £50 million wisely on 11 players that you think will be a revelation in Russia. You know how it works. Pick a goalkeeper who won't let many in. Pick a defence that will keep it tight at the back. Pick a midfield that will create goals and strikers who score them and then you can watch in horror as they bite someone and a band for the rest of the tournament. But don't worry, the Telegraph Fantasy Football lets you make transfers between matches, giving you multiple chances to make up for your own hideous errors. The Telegraph Fantasy Football. Great fun to play and there's cash to be won. Sign up now at fantasyfootball.telegraph.co.uk or download the app on iOS or Android now. Is Christoph Jack, is he right to be so down on do root and tuffles? <laughs> do you want to go at that again? <laughs> no, it's, it's Belgium. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, I I mean, he certainly has watched more Belgium than me. I, My intuition when I was doing my research was, yeah, perhaps there is... With all squads that have a surfeit of attacking players, people tend to get very excited. Oh, look at all these guys. Look at the guys they've left out. And that can often disguise structural issues. Carrasco as a left wing back looks like an absolute nonsense to me. Mm. Um, I Interesting, he's talking about Nyingolan. I've never really seen Axel Witzel play that well. He's one of the players who kind of must do really well whenever I'm not looking. I think they'll get out of the group without any problem, but I don't see them as quarter semi-finalists. All right, are they going to top the group? Who's your top two of the group then? Uh, honestly, I think it's a coin toss between them and England and... If I had to guess, yeah, probably Belgium have a bit more. Do so you think Belgium will take it in the in the last game against England, Ian? I think England and Belgium will probably draw, but I can also see England drawing, <laughs> probably Tunisia. I, I can see England coming through second in that group. I think Belgium will just end it. Daniel, I'm trying to avoid my nightmare scenario of Belgium and Tunisia <laughs> one and two, um, but for difference, I'll say it. Okay. What about you, Michael? Yeah, I think Belgium will top the group. Okay, and who'll go through with them? The mighty England. The mighty course. England. Look out, Germany. Heading for that quarterfinal clash. All right, we right now are heading for the delights of Group H, featuring a nation where they listen to things like this. <laughs> Noggy Zaka, 46, in answer to your question, Daniel, with synchronicity. Number five in Japan right now. It's number one for me. Yeah, me too, actually. My question to you, though, is who's going to be number one in Group H? Um, a group which features Poland, Senegal, Colombia, and yes, the Blue Samurai. I think Japan will finish bottom of the group. Oh. I think that's the the one thing in the group that I'm most sure of. Um, other than that, it feels like a, a bit of a toss-up between a couple of countries who are heading on the way down in Colombia and Poland and one that seems to be heading on the way up in Senegal. Mm. My gut instinct is that Colombia and Poland will go through um, and Senegal will kind of, to be incredibly patronising, will win a few fans and hearts and minds but ultimately fall slightly short. Right. It's a very global group that's exciting, isn't it? You've got an Asian, an African, a European and a South American. But very balanced, Michael. Yeah, it's the best group in that sense, isn't it? Not only is it geographically diverse, there's no great team and there's no terrible team. So I'm very much looking forward to this group. I think Colombia will go through. I'm not sure they're a great team. Um, but I think that James Rodriguez has the freedom to basically do what he wants. And I think his performances four years ago is um, is probably amongst the best individual World Cups I've ever seen, actually, from a player, right. Rodriguez. And he's had a difficult time since then, but he's recovered uh, his form at Bayern. 
I'm not sure that they'll beat any of the good sides in the knockout rounds, but I'd be surprised if they didn't top this group. Okay. Whoever tops this group, they take on the second place in England's group and, and, and vice versa. What, what's your... What's your feeling about this group, Ian? Well, I'd like to agree with Michael, first of all, that I think this is the best group in the tournament. Okay. Um, but I'm going to respectfully disagree with Daniel, purely because I, I watched the highlights, um, extended highlights of Japan against extended Ghana. Extended highlights. Oh, yeah. Because that's, that's how deep I go. Yeah. Six and a half minutes long. Never all the way, <laughs> just about halfway. Um, Japan against Ghana. Now, Japan lost 2-0 at home to Ghana, and Ghana didn't even qualify for the tournament. So immediately right. you think Christ are in trouble, especially with what's happened behind the scenes. They dumped their manager in April. Mm. Um, who apparently was trying to play a very direct game. That's uh, Vahid Halihodzic. Been practicing all day for that. Mm-hmm. Um, replaced him with Akira Nishino, of course, the old right. technical director, who's trying to get back to the old sort of Japanese uh, possession-based football. Oh, nice. And this is what they were trying against Ghana. Oh, and nice. it wasn't that far off. They were making lots and lots of chances. They got done by a free kick and a penalty. It's going to take a little bit of time, and he hasn't got time. But there's there's a lot of talent there, a lot of very mature talent. A lot of key players are into their thirties now. But I've just on the basis of those um, that that footage I watched today, I'm thinking she maybe they're not as bad as everyone's making out. Kagawa's in the lineup. We might see a classic uh, Okazaki falling over goal because he's in there as well. Yeah, I, I like that style that they're returning to the the Tokyo Taka, if you will. <laughs> Little... <Hello. laughs> and you won't. <laughs> yeah, I'll get my coat. They, yeah, they they have the players to play that way. You mentioned Kagawa. They've also got Takashi Inui, fresh off a really good season in Spain with Abar, just secured a move to Betis. Lovely little player, technical, shoots from range. Kesuke Honda, I not really kept an eye on playing in Mexico now, but he's a player. If he's on song, can combine with those guys. I think they could be a decent little watch. Honda, who I think got seven in qualifying, but none in his last eight for Japan. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, one one interesting thing that they've switched to a back three, or at least they did against Ghana with Makoto Hasibi, the veteran midfielder, dropping into the back three. Is that right? He's a good player. Is yeah. he? He's, he's a brilliant, just such great control. How yeah. would you know him, Michael? Well, he's been around for about ten years. I mean, he, he played a big part in when they won the Asian Cup in 2011. He played alongside Endo, who was a really good little player as well. Mm. He's honestly, he's a bit of a Bit of a Busquets kind of character. Okay. Well, that sounds fun. Well, that's Japan. So where do you stand on the bottom of the group? Do you see their prospects as dimly as Daniel? I mean, I really like watching Japan play. They've always got great technical players, but I think they sometimes lack the efficiency in the penalty box. Um, You know, Okazaki is a very hard worker, but not prolific. And I think they are prone to needless defensive mistakes as well. So I kind of think they'll do what they did in 2010, um, which was just be very impressive, but kind of get eliminated against the first good opponent. And I think there are good opponents in this group, so I don't think they'll get through the group. Right. What, what about Daniel's contention that Senegal will, will will win hearts and minds, but very few points? I like Senegal, actually. I think they've got a lot of good, a lot of good options. They're a funny side, Senegal. I must say they've kind of gone off the radar for the past 10 years or so. But then you look at their squad and you realise they've got lots of players um, who are very familiar to the Premier League. I think Aliou Cissé seems like a great manager for them to have. Someone mm. who was... Who was part uh, of their, their lineup in 2002. Of course, absolutely legendary side. You know, I, I know they only got to the quarterfinals, but could very well have gone further. Um, and I'm just really impressed by um, the organisation that he's got. Their defence looks very solid. I think Cissé has... He's a bit of a disciplinarian. He seems to have the squad in good shape. Um, and they've just got lots of options. I, I can imagine that they will maybe win games from the bench. Um, they've got a lot of very fast wingers. And, 
Yeah, their qualification record was quite good defensively. I think it's considered three goals in the six games against uh, in the final group. Daniel's and, pulling faces. Yeah. No, not at Michael. No, I, the thing about Senegal is that typically African qualifying is really difficult, uh-huh. and yet they got a relatively easy draw. They had Burkina Faso, Cape Verde, and South Africa, and South Africa are, are nothing at the moment footballing terms, and they they failed to beat Burkina Faso over two games. I think they are. Again, it sounds really patronising. I think they have potential to be an excellent team. I just think with Colombia and Poland might just have enough know-how to see them off. I don't think they'll be awful by any means. I just think, I fear they might just come short. I think a few people have also read a little bit too much into their nil-nil draw with um, Luxembourg, um, which is obviously not a result that reflects well Have you seen them. extended highlights of that? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I have not. Okay. Just the standard highlights. What should we one. read into that? Then? Well, only that Mane wasn't in the team and they right. absolutely battered them. Oh, a did series they? of good saves, piles of shots. So Hey, you know, even France have drawn with Luxembourg. Well, there you go. Why you see? they with Luxembourg? I don't understand in, that. In preparation Luxembourg, no for <laughs> Poland. No, it's no, not it's, that close it's, to Poland. It's just going to be playing against a... a Park bus, I assume. I haven't seen Luxembourg recently, I must admit. But I'm amazed you play such a weak stand of opposition before such a strong group. It doesn't seem to make any sense. Mm. Well, anyway, Sadio Mane, you would expect to be featuring in their lineups come the World Cup, as uh, you would Napoli defender Kalidou Kulubali, who's been excellent for the partner pay. You've got who else? Uh, Czech Coyote of West Ham, uh, Keita Baldi of Monaco, lots of exciting players, many of whom are actually called Ndai. Mm. Uh, they've got a lot of Ndai's. There's uh, Kadim Ndai who may be in goal. Alfred Ndai and Badu Ndai in midfield. Czech Ndoi, which is similar. Ndai will always love you. Very nice, Daniel. Uh, Jack, all right then, Colombia. Surely they, surely they will draw consensus from you all. I think they have a very strong chance of getting through. I would, I would expect them to get through this group. I don't think they will go too far in the tournament and I don't think they'll quite be the uh, the party bus that they were four years ago mm. in Brazil. They were a party bus. They were a party bus. We, we all remember like the nice little dances but that was replicated in their football as well. It was yeah. kind of a, an expressive attacking game. They've got, you know, at the sharp end of the pitch they've got players, you know, we've mentioned Amos Rodriguez who has a very free reign. Also Radamel Falcao's first World Cup at 32, which I think is a nice story. Mm. After his heartbreak four years ago, he'll be desperate to do well. But then you look elsewhere and it's a little bit more workmanlike than it was before. I think they've switched systems slightly by the looks of it, partly to do with a nasty little incident involving uh, Edwin Cardona of, of Boca Juniors, was playing quite well for the side, kind of drifting in from the left, creative and taking a bit of kind of the responsibility off James Rodriguez. He, in a game against South Korea, opted to do a, a racist gesture with his eyes, oh. which I probably needn't spell out, but it's very horrible. So has he been suspended? Well, this is the thing. Horrible incident. Given a five-game ban by FIFA, Colombia have had four games since, so their fifth game would be the first game of the World Cup. In which they played Japan. Ex- well, exactly. So Jose Beckerman has obviously decided, look, I can't count on him in these games. Right. So I'll do a little reshuffle. It might mean that James Rodriguez uh, has to do a little bit more defensive work and I think it reduces a bit of their attacking quality, which already isn't the highest. You know, we think about the players they've got. Only scored 21 in 18 qualifying games, so Mm. they might not be as thrilling as people might expect. Well, plenty of the 2014 vintage have returned. James Rodriguez, you mentioned Juan Cuadrado who uh, has been busy winning titles at Juve, and your pal David Ospina in, in goal. Yeah. How do you feel about that, Ian McIntosh? Well, he's made a couple of um, 
mistakes recently, one against France and, of course, the one against Peru that actually put Peru in when he dived an indirect free kick and palmed it in. <laughs> He's not really the kind of goalkeeper you'd trust. And that game came on the back of a result that almost cost Colombia their qualification against uh, Paraguay. Two more spinning mistakes in that one. So, yeah, I, I agree with Ian. I think I've never been a massive fan, but that would be a concern for me. And they're carrying mm. a couple of injuries. Uh, Zapata and Aguilla uh, coming in not entirely fit. And also Falcao, who's, um, who scored sackfuls of goals before the end of January, then got injured. Never quite got back into the swing of things afterwards. I think he only scored one in the eight games remaining in the season. So hopefully he's back up to speed because, as Jack says, it was uh, horrible for him to miss out last time. Well, I I must admit I had Colombia down to go through from this crew, but I'm I'm rapidly (laughs) backtracking. Poland then, who also I thought looked quite strong, but Daniel... They should be better than they are. They are. They were incredibly reliant on on Robert Lewandowski in qualifying, mm. which is it's his you know, first World Cup. Yeah, it's fully understand. Yeah, Jack mentioned with Falcao, and it's quite a nice. It is a nice story that both Falcao and Lewandowski are playing their first World Cup. Um, Lewandowski scored sixteen goals in ten qualifiers, which is outrageous for a well, it's a decent effort for a whole country. Never mind for a player. But actually, you look behind, and there there should be better behind that. They've got Piotr Zielinski, who's been great for Napoli. They've got. Uh, Lukas Piszczek, who's still doing his thing at right back. They've got slight problems in central midfield. Obviously, Gregor Krajcevic was was not particularly good at West Brom, and they conceded 14 goals in in qualifying, which is is far too many against weaker teams than they'll play in the group. I change my mind almost every day. I still think they will sneak through um, mm. because I think Lewandowski will be enough to punish Senegal and Japan, but. I feel like they should be better than they are. The, the other player who deserves a mention is, is Arcadius Milik, who's yeah. had a, a rotten time over the last two, two or years, three years, yeah. really, yeah. Um, and his crossed fingers just about back at his kind of peak fitness, so hopefully he will. And if he plays with, with Lewandowski, then that, you know, that's a huge, huge Would they benefit. play the two of them together? Yeah, they'll play Adam Adam probably just might play Milik slightly off uh-huh. Lewandowski, I think. Oh, I don't like Milik slightly off. Nice, sour. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. They've also got a candidate for the, the Emerson Award for pre-tournament training ground spill Oh, at the moment hanging over them. I think he'll be fine, but Camille Glick, the influential defender, tried a bicycle kick in training and didn't land as he might have hoped. Oh, dear. Ranked sixth in the world right now. Only lost once in qualifying Poland. Are they going through then, Michael? No, I don't think they're very good, actually. I think ah. Their defensive record in qualifying was uh, really bad. You can't concede 14 goals in 10 qualification games against pretty rank average opposition and expect to do well. Two clean sheets as well as very poor. Complete contrast to Euro 2016 when I think I kept three clean sheets. I just don't think they're very good. Lewandowski is probably, probably the best number nine at, the, at this tournament, I think, in terms of his all-round ability. But the rest of the side doesn't work very, very well together. So, so who is going through, Michael? I think it'll be Colombia and Senegal. All right. Yeah, Colombia and Poland for me, so disagreement. We're not that far off me being able to toss all our names up in the air and just read out the order in which they land. Um, I think Colombia and I think Japan and Senegal to fight it out. And really? Poland to go horrible. I only say this because over the last 10 years, I always say Poland will be the dark horses and they almost always let me down. So, wow. sorry, Poland. Jack? I agree with Michael. Columbia so it's and Senegal, Senegal and, and, and uh, Colombia. Well, that'll make for an exciting last 16. I mean, they're both very fun teams, Senegal mm-hmm. and Colombia, and, and prime candidates for post, uh, post-goal post celebration dances as well. They've both got a great history of that in the World Cups, which uh, is always nice to see. It certainly is. Very good. 
Well, let's now get the odds on some of those issues from Paddy Power with producer Ben. Thank you, Jimbo. I'm back with Lee Price from Paddy Power. Lee, it's like you never left. I know it's been such a long time, but it's great to be back. Okay, Lee, let's talk about Jamie Vardy holding Raheem Sterling's tattooed leg aloft after he scored the opener versus Tunisia. If Jamie Vardy gets on the pitch, I would say it's almost a certainty, although it's quite a big if that he starts. We go 20 to 1 that he guns down all of Sterling's critics. I would love to see it. It would be an iconic moment in the World Cup history. Okay, something else that may be iconic. Uh, Delhi Alley, book for diving. Is that going to happen? <laughs> I think this is really good value, and I'm sad to say it, but it's 10 to 1 that he's booked for diving in the group stage. Uh, and of all our players, he's probably the second most likely to dive behind a certain Ashley Young. And how does that compare to um, Harry Kane finishing his top scorer? A similar sort of ballpark. Harry Kane is, believe it or not, amongst the favourites to win the Golden Boot. He's 14-1, to 1, which puts him at fourth favourite. Uh, but his progress might be hindered by England going out in the first knockout round. Speaking of which, Lee, uh, England knocked out on penalties versus Germany. Now, now, for that to happen, they've got to make it to the quarterfinals. So, a mm-hmm. bit more optimistic than what you were just saying. But... Um, <laughs> This is a certainty, is it not? Yeah, this feels like it would be a good tournament, but also a typical England tournament. Uh, actually, the price on this is now 25 to 1. It was 100 to 1 when it was first priced up, but punters like this one, and I can see why. If you're going to write a script for England, this is absolutely how it ends. All right, uh, moving on from England, but sticking in Group G, uh, let's talk about the other big team there. It's Belgium. Um, I've got a double for you here. Belgium to be the semi-finalist, and also Roberto Martinez to then be appointed the new Real Madrid boss. <laughs> One of those has to happen. <laughs> so, yeah, well, I'm not sure which one it might be. Um, Belgium to reach semi finals is a very short price, helped again by playing England. They're 8 to 5 to reach semis. Good value, maybe. Martinez to be next Madrid manager is 50 to 1. Uh, although Arsene Wenger is the favourite in that market, so maybe it's not as crazy as it sounds. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. It's 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Now, Totally Football Show will be returning throughout the World Cup. Uh, A little bit after the final whistle, every night we'll be laying down our thoughts on the day's action, looking ahead to the following day's games. If you'd like to get involved, do tweet us at The Totally Show. You can find us as well on Facebook for videos, quizzes, competitions and all that kind of thing. And, of course, if you're hungry for more info and you haven't heard our preview podcast on groups A, B and C and D, E and F, For the moment, though, that's where we'll wrap this puppy. So many thanks to Michael, Daniel, Ian and Jack and you, listener. We'll be back just as soon as that World Cup gets itself started on Thursday, the 14th of June. Hopefully, listener, you'll be with us every step of the way. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. Subscribe now and get the latest episode delivered right to your phone for free.